0: we talked about, over the last two sessions, we've talked about two major um, two major issues. Yeah, it's two sessions or three sessions? Three. We've had three? Two. Two, two that's what I thought. Okay. Three. Three.
1: Three. We've yeah.
0: had three. We're well, we covered two go. major issues <laughs> in three classes. Okay. <laughs> the first being about God. Okay, we talked about God as love. God is love, the scripture is saying. And what do we mean by that? I'm going back to it because it's essential what we're talking about today. God gives himself. So God gives himself in what way? Selflessly. To his his son first. Okay, within himself. Okay, that God lives, as John Paul II said, God lives a life of, of loving communion. Within himself, a gift of himself to the Son, and the Son in the Holy Spirit back to the Father. So there's this, there's this giving of self that identifies God himself in who he is. And then what's the second aspect of that? God is love in relationship to... In relationship to us, creation. The creation makes sense only in relationship to who God is, because God shares his life with us and then we start to understand who we are. Man is made in the image and likeness of God. So all of this we've been looking at in relationship, to this aspect of God being loved. I said something last time about Christ. I said Christ is the hinge of our salvation. I should say Christ's humanity is the hinge of our salvation. What do I mean by that? I'm not giving this you. It's
2: like, well, because he's a man, we can enter into him, and because he's God, he sees the Father.
0: Okay, so Christ, because he's both man and God, acts as this bridge by which man can come into relationship with God in Christ Jesus. Okay? He shares himself, um, his, his divine person, with his humanity. His humanity comes into contact with the Holy Trinity based upon who Christ is. Okay, and that's going to be essential to understanding our own salvation. Turn your Catechism to 515, paragraph 515.
1: All right, The Gospels were written by men who were among the first to have the faith and wanted to share it with others. Having known in faith who Jesus is, they could see and make others see the traces of his mystery in all his earthly life. From the swaddling clothes of his birth to the vinegar of his passion and the shroud of his resurrection, everything in Christ's life, or Jesus's life, was a sign of his mystery. His deeds, miracles, and words all revealed that, quote, in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. His human humanity appeared as sacrament, that is, the sign and instrument of his divinity and of the salvation he brings. Okay, read that sentence again. His humanity appeared as sacrament, that is, the sign and instrument of his divinity and of the salvation he brings. What was visible in his earthly life leads to the invisible mystery of his divine sonship, and redemptive mission.
0: Okay, so what do they mean? mean? His humanity appeared as sacrament. What's our definition of sacrament from our old Baltimore catechism days? An outward sign. An outward sign instituted by, Institute by, Institute by Christ to give grace. An outward sign instituted by Christ to give grace. What's an example of that? Baptism. baptism. How is baptism an outward sign instituted by Christ to give grace? Lord. 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 You know, we come into contact with this material thing Okay, and somehow Christ has transformed it to not only be a sign like a reminder to us, like a stop sign, but to actually be a point where we touch upon the thing which it signifies, where the thing which it signifies is made real in it. We come into contact, and we come into contact with what? What is it that we come into contact with in the sacraments?
1: That's
0: great. Yeah, which is life. God's life. Okay? So in the sacraments you come into contact with God's life. And it's the exact same point they're making here. His humanity appeared as sacrament. That is the sign and instrument of his divinity and of the salvation he brings. What was visible in his earthly life leads to the invisible mystery of his divine sonship and redemptive mission. So through Christ's humanity we're led into, into contact with divinity. We're not just left at that surface of this humanity, but we meet in Christ a divine person. When we talk with Christ, we talk with a divine person. But he's in flesh before us. He is a material physical man. Okay? Paragraph 521. Go ahead, Melanie. Melanie's just going to read for us tonight.
1: Christ enables us to live in him all that he himself lived, and he lives it in us. By his incarnation, he, the Son of God, has in a certain way united himself with each man. We are called only to become one with him. For he enables us as the members of his body to share in what he lived for us in his flesh as our model. We must continue to accomplish in ourselves the stages of Jesus' life and his mysteries, and often to beg him to perfect and realize them in us and in his whole church. For it is the plan of the Son of God to make us and the whole church partake in his mysteries, and to extend them and to continue and extend them to and continue them in us and in his whole church. This is his plan for fulfilling his mysteries in us. Okay, so first of all, in relation to to what we're about to do
0: in the church, we're about to enter into Lent, and this is exactly what they're talking about. We are called only to become one with us, for he enables us to do that. Lent is all about that process. Lent is an opportunity for us to walk with Christ to the crucifixion. Christ has the power to give us a real participation in that mystery. In in him, he's not only our model. It, It says the word model there, unfortunately, I think. Because it starts to lead us maybe in a different direction than the rest of the text is actually leading us. Because in Christ, in the church, we begin to walk his own life. We become participants in what he does. And if we can be participants in what he does and who he is, then the possibility of salvation becomes real for us. Because our salvation lies in the resurrection. Lent, for us, is a time of walking toward the cross so that we might be nailed to the cross and buried with Christ. If Christ, as I think it was you or Kim I was talking to the other day, if Christ died... And rose again. That's fine, fine for Jesus. But where do we fit into the picture? Christ came so that we might be able to die and rise again. So that death no longer has dominion over us. That was the reason for his incarnation. It's nice for Jesus to rise from the dead, he's God. But the mystery lies in the fact that we're able to be united to him. And that's where our salvation lies. That's
1: a really good question. Comparatively, though, Mm -hmm. I mean, our like, for instance, Lent, our journey through Lent is so different from Christ's passion and death. I mean, Mm -hmm. that was the ultimate suffering there. What Mm -hmm. people go through at Lent isn't anything that even
0: Yeah, absolutely and that's why the mystery that's why at this point where where we start to touch upon how we get into God the, the church says all we know is the revelation given to us and Christ has invited us to share in his own life how that can possibly happen how I could possibly be nailed to the cross there are ways we could talk about being nailed to the cross but when we touch upon the reality of entering into the tomb of Christ, in some sense, let's be honest, how is it that when I'm baptized, I enter into Christ's death and resurrection? And that's where the sacraments are mysteries. They're beyond us. All we know is that Christ promises that, and we trust in Him. So, you're right, Christ suffers for us, and in that sense, He does for us, He, he um, almost preempts our own death. So that in the sacraments, we're able to die without dying. Okay, When when Christians die, we believe that they're not dying. That they're going through a passageway to eternal life. Christians have already died in baptism. And once you die and you rise again, death no longer has dominion over you. Death for us at the end of our life is no longer what it was. It is no longer a separation from God. In fact, it is the point where we enter into the divine life most fully. Okay, so we get into this with the, with the sacraments, this strange thing because for us it's just not normal. We're all of a sudden we're starting to see into the divine life. There's something other, something supernatural that we're talking about. Okay. Um. Okay. We read 4- 521. All the way through that quote? Yep. Yep. Okay. Uh, 470. Go back one time and then we're going to be off to the races here. Just that last, we're just going to read that last quotation. Yeah, go ahead, that's fine.
3: No, you can do it. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> <laughs> the son of God worked with human hands he thought with a human mind he acted with a human will and with a human heart he loved born of the virgin Mary he has truly been made one of us like us in all things except sin we talked about this last time what's the importance of that? What is it, what's so important that Christ did all these things with a human with human hands and a human will and a human heart?
2: he's a hundred percent man
0: uh, we have an <clears> example? yeah but not it's not just example he is not just leading by example for One of us. He just really he fully became one of So that he takes, and now we can say that a human will is doing the will of God. Because his will is totally subordinate to his divine will. His human will is totally subordinate to his divine will. So now we can look at Christ and we can say, human hands have done what God has made them to do. And because that has happened in Christ, it is possible for it to happen for other men. It has happened to a man and therefore it's possible for humanity. It becomes possible, okay?
2: Is it somehow some taking away ritual sin? I mean, it seems to be tied to that, but. That is exactly what it does. You actually have to have the baptism to actually do
0: that. Yeah, because I'm saying, Christ did this with, human, with a human hand and a human heart. Good for Jesus. If it ends there, we're all in a bunch of trouble. Okay, Saint Paul talks to us in their time where he says, "I'm making up in, in my own sufferings for the sufferings are lacking in Christ." And uh, the question is, what's lacking in Christ? But me and you, Christ didn't die and rise again for his own good. For him, he's I mean, he's a, he's a divine person. Yes, he can rise from the dead. Death no longer has no, death has no dominion over him. But the mystery is in us because for us. We cannot walk ourselves out of death. But Christ has done it for us. And now if we can somehow get into him, if somehow we can get his life in us, if somehow we can be united with him, then he is going to drag us out of the tomb. And that's salvation. Okay? It's salvation because that's the problem. We die and we're separated from God. God designed us to be united to him. Okay, so he reverses exactly. He reverses original sin. He reverses the false Okay. All right. Uh, paragraph six eighty three. We're jumping way ahead there because that was just a little review. Paragraph six eighty three. I believe in the Holy Spirit. All
2: right, Mark. We need millennial break. Go ahead. No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. God has sent the Holy has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. This knowledge of faith is possible only in the Holy Spirit. To be in touch with Christ, we must first have been touched by the Holy Spirit. He comes to meet us and kindles faith in us. By virtue of our baptism, the first sacrament of the faith, the Holy Spirit in the church communicates to us intimately and personally the life that originates in the Father and is offered to us in the Son. Go on. Go yep. baptism gives us the grace of the new birth in God the Father through his Son in the Holy Spirit for those who bear God's Spirit are led to the Word led to the Word, that is, to the Son and the Son presents them to the Father and the Father confirms incorrupt- incorruptibility on them it is, impo- it is possible, impossible. impossible to see God the Son without the Spirit and no one can approach the Father without the Son for the knowledge of the Father is the Son and the knowledge of God's Son is obtained through the Holy Spirit.
0: Okay, that's kind of like, oh, wow. <laughs> what are they talking about? This is a classic example where we got to just slow down and start to take it apart. So go back to the top. No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Why? Well, it's like Peter said. He says that Peter, you,
2: you weren't thinking about the flesh, you were thinking about the Spirit.
0: Okay. When
2: Jesus ask him, who
0: are you? That's true. That's true. When we say Jesus is Lord, what's another way of saying that? What's another word we can use instead of Lord? God.
3: God. Yeah, but
0: in the Old Testament, the concept of the Lord, yeah, Master, or as he's often called, he is the Christ, the ruler, okay? And when we say Jesus is the Christ, what are we saying? The side. Okay, back in the Hebrew, what about in the English? She. No, what about in the English?
1: Anointed
0: one. He is the anointed one. And those that were anointed in the Old Testament, primarily, okay, when you talked about the anointed one of Israel, you were talking about the king, the ruler, the Lord. Okay? So the Catechism, quoting scripture, says no one can call Jesus the Lord, or likewise, no one can call Jesus the Christ, the Anointed One, without admitting what—that he has been anointed, that he has received the gift of the Holy Spirit. Okay, look over to um, paragraph six ninety, go quick. Six ninety, and then um, there's a quotation hooked to six ninety at the very end of it. See, is it on the next page? It's all mine. It's in the next page. There, yeah. The notion, see that? Mm -hmm. The notion of anointing suggests, who is this here? St. Gregory of Nyssa. The notion of anointing suggests that there is no distance between the sun and the spirit. Indeed, just as between the surface of the body and the anointing with oil, neither reason nor sensation recognizes any intermediary. So the contact of the sun with the spirit is immediate. So that anyone who would make contact with the Son by faith must first encounter the oil by contact. In fact, there is no part that is not covered by the Holy Spirit. That is why the confession of the Son's Lordship is made in the Holy Spirit by those who receive him. The Spirit coming from all sides to those who approach the Son in faith. Okay? So coming to Jesus, we, if we do not come to him and, and in, the, in the Spirit, if we do not recognize the Spirit, then we see him, as many of the Jews did, as a man. But instead, as Peter saw him, by the gift of the Holy Spirit, his eyes are open, and he sees, by the gift of God, like John the Baptist, who saw the Spirit descend upon Christ at his baptism, and knew That he was the Christ, the Lord. Okay? So no one go back to six eighty three. No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Ah the Father. Who cries Ah the Father? Jesus. Is that what it said? God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, "Abba, Father." Who's crying, "Abba, Father"? The Spirit. The Spirit is crying, "Abba, Father," in who? In us. In us. In other words, in the Spirit, we cry out to God as Father, recognizing Him as Father. This knowledge of faith is possible only in the Holy Spirit. To be touched, to be in touch with Christ we must first have been touched by the Holy Spirit. He comes to meet us and kindles faith in us. By virtue of our baptism, the first sacrament of faith, the Holy Spirit in the church communicates to us, pay attention, the Holy Spirit communicates to us intimately and personally the life that originates in the Father and is offered to us in the Son. Okay, what are they saying? Where do we stand in relationship to the Father <coughs> by our baptism? Where do we stand in relationship to the Father by virtue of our baptism? The Lord of Jesus. Yeah. Oh, by the gift of our baptism, we are placed in the, in the shoes of the Son receiving the gift of the Father. And we cry out back to Him, the Father. We receive into our hearts the very Spirit of God which pours forth from all eternity into the Word. Okay? We're going to keep looking at this. Baptism gives us the grace of new birth in God the Father through His Son in the Holy Spirit. For those who bear God's Spirit are led to the Word, that is, to the Son, and the Son presents them to the Father, and the Father confers incorruptibility on them. And it is impossible to see God's Son without the Spirit. Imagine yourself standing in the place of the Son. It is impossible to see the Son without the Spirit. And no one can approach the Father without the Son. For the knowledge of the Father... Is the Son, and the knowledge of God's Son is obtained through the Holy Spirit. As we go through here, we start to talk about this more and more how to our baptism we're placed into the very life of the Trinity. And we receive from the Father that which the Son receives, and we give back to the Father that which the Son gives back. Okay? Questions about that? No. Okay, paragraph 686. Actually, go back real quick, I'm sorry. Well, no, fine, 686 is fine. Go ahead.
1: The Holy Spirit is at work with the Father and the Son from the beginning to the completion of the plan for our salvation. But in these end times, ushered in by the Son's redeeming incarnation, the Spirit is revealed and given, recognized and welcomed as a person. Now can this divine plan, accomplished in Christ, the firstborn and head of the new creation, be embodied in mankind by the outpouring of the Spirit as the Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting? Okay, go back to that, <laughs> now can this divine plan, is halfway
0: through the paragraph. No? Oh.
1: you want me to read see it We're going to read
0: it again. Where? Just go up a couple lines, about four lines, see that now can this divine plan... Um, uh-huh. Everybody's with me? Yeah. Now can this divine plan accomplished in Christ, the firstborn head of the new creation, be embodied. So that, forget that whole accomplished in Christ as an explanatory remark, that the divine plan is accomplished in Christ. But now, what the Catechism is saying is that divine plan can be embodied in mankind by the outpouring of the Spirit. Now, what is that divine plan? to be resurrected yeah. are with him eternally okay restoration okay those are both true what else how else can we say that this has been the central thing we've been talking about this whole time. okay by sharing his own life go back hold your page there. go back to paragraph one of the catechism we've looked at this before hold your hand on that page and go back real quick paragraph one we've gone back to before. Paragraph one, sentence one. God, infinitely perfect and blessed in himself, in a plan of sheer goodness, freely created man to make him share in his own blessed life. That is the plan of God. We've talked about this before. To Share in his own blessed life. Now look, go back to 686. Okay? To that sentence. Now in this divine plan that man may share in his own blessed life be embodied in mankind are you with me? by the outpouring of the spirit and then it describes that embodiment the divine plan is embodied it is made present real before us in the following as the church the church is the (coughs) incarnation of God's divine plan it is God's divine plan. Okay? God's plan is to share His own blessed life, and that's what the church is. It is the communion of saints. The communion of saints is the church, and it is the fulfillment of God's sharing of His own blessed life. Are you with me? It is the forgiveness of sins. The sharing of own, God's own blessed life is the forgiveness of sins. Why? What is sin? We talked about this.
3: What is sin? What is like? What's that? You
0: yeah, it's separation through God. Separation from God. Not just separation. Yeah, it is that. We talked about this. Lacking the divine life. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a, a lack of divine life. But what in us? So when we talk of it, it's a it's a privation of a do-good, of something we should have. So the Catechism says that the divine plan is the sharing of God's own blessed life, and that's why it is the forgiveness of sins, because it fills us up, what was lacking. It is the resurrection of the body, because when we receive God's own blessed life within us, our bodies rise from the dead. We are given the gift of immortality. And it is, the, it is life everlasting. There it is. God's own blessed life. It is life everlasting. So look, if the divine plan is all of those things, then we can say that each one of those things is also the other. So, the church is the communion of saints. The church is the forgiveness of sins. The church is life everlasting. Okay. Go ahead, Melanie. Mm-hmm. No,
4: I'm just I'm <laughs> taking it all out.
0: Questions? The church is the resurrection of the body. No questions. You guys all know this stuff really well? No. You do? It's, a, it's a very full definition of church. It is, because we're about to hit the point of the, what the church is, and we've got to have the, the foundation for it. Are you really putting, putting like an equal sign there? I am putting an equal sign there. I am. You can substitute
2: community of saints for church. Yeah. For
0: yep. Okay, paragraph six times. We're going to keep going, Mark, because we're going to, the Catholic is going to get more explicit more, the further we go. Okay? Which we of Paragraph 690 Steve.
3: 690, Steve. Jesus is Christ. Go ahead. Jesus is Christ's anointed because the Spirit is His anointing, and everything that occurs from the incarnation on derives from this fullness. When Christ is finally glorified, He can in turn send the Spirit from His place with the Father to those who believe in Him. He communicates to them His glory, that is, the Holy Spirit who glorifies Him. From that time on, this joint mission will be manifested in the children adopted by the Father in the body of the Son. The mission of the spirit of adoption is to unite them to Christ and make them live in Him. Okay. This is, again, a similar thing about what we've been talking about. We're
0: just going to be more and more explicit. We're being introduced in the last couple of paragraphs to a term that's going to be our favorite term here about the church. And what are they calling the church? They're not even calling it. They're just not even making it explicit. But they're not saying the word church. But... They point it the body of Christ, or the body of Him, or the body of the Son. We've heard this, the body of Christ. We talk about it in relationship to the Eucharist, but we also talk about the church is the body of Christ, and there's a reason. Okay, so we keep that in our minds. we're being introduced to us. The cat is about to go and talk about the church here, and it's starting to introduce to us the realities of who the Holy Spirit is, what He accomplishes in the divine economy, Okay. When we talk about salvation history, what is the Holy Spirit accomplishing? <coughs> the mission of the Spirit of adoption is to unite them to Christ and make them live in Him, not like Him, but in Him. Okay. Paragraph seven thirty one. I'm skipping a whole section there on on some uh, just historical stuff in the in the scriptures and things like that. Seven thirty one. Go ahead, Melanie. 732. That's the key, but
1: we are On the day of Pentecost, when the seven weeks of Easter had come to an end, Christ's Passover is fulfilled in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, manifested, given, and communicated as a divine person. Of his fullness, Christ the Lord pours out the Spirit in abundance. Keep going. On that day, the Holy Trinity is fully revealed. Since that day, the kingdom announced by Christ has been open to those who believe in Him. In the humility of the flesh and in faith, they already share in the communion of the Holy Trinity.
0: There you go. Stop. Period. Okay? <laughs> they share in a life in the communion of the Holy Trinity. So, when we're talking about participation in divine life, when we're talking about becoming, uh, being baptized into Christ, We're not talking about using just nice terms. Okay, we're not just using things which which sound good. We are talking about actually entering into the communion of the Holy Trinity in the Son. Okay? Could you run past that one, that easy one? Yeah. Yeah. Imagine yourself standing in the place of the Word of God, sharing the life of God Himself. God pours forth uh, Himself into the Son from all eternity and the Son responds by giving his own life back to the Father and the Holy Spirit the Holy Trinity is the reality of our salvation the ultimate gift of God to us when we're talking about participation in divine life it's not just nice we're going to float around in heaven for all eternity they're talking about a real entrance into who God is Okay. We're being placed we're being placed in a place in relationship to God. Does
2: the spirit flow from God the Father down
0: to the Son and from the Son back to the Father? Okay? Why is this true? Why is that last... They already share... Well, that last 732, that paragraph. On that day, the Holy Trinity is fully revealed. Since that day, the kingdom announced by Christ has been open to those who believe in him. In the humility of the flesh and in faith, they already share the communion of the Holy Trinity. Why is this communion of the Holy, in the Holy Trinity a reality? Why is it that God gives us this gift?
1: Why or how? Why? so
4: that we have the grace to remain faithful
0: there's something more (laughs) yes that's the reason in a sense that that's why he's doing it for us so that we get that but there's a reason in God himself there's a reason in God himself that he gives us this gift of communion with himself that he pours forth his life into us he loves us that much good Turn to the next paragraph. The Holy Spirit, God's gift. God is love. We have talked about that from the very beginning. That if we're going to talk about what salvation means for man, we've got to talk about who God is. And we're going to start to learn a lot more about who we are being made in His image and likeness. So we're going to read a few paragraphs here. Cynthia, do you want to read that for us? 7.33 through... 735.
4: God is love, and love is his first gift, containing all others.
0: When she's reading the word love there, just imagine that giving of self, the flowing of life into another. Okay, go ahead.
4: God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. Because we are dead or at least wounded through sin, the first effect of the gift of love is the forgiveness of our sins. The communion of the Holy Spirit in the Church restores to the baptized the divine likeness lost through sin. He then gives us the pledge, or first fruits, of our inheritance, the very life of the Holy Trinity, which is to love as God has loved us. This love, the charity, 1 Corinthians 13, is the source of the new life, in Christ, made possible because We have received power from the Holy Spirit. Okay, notice what they're talking about now, that he then gives us the pledge of the first fruits of our inheritance,
0: the very life of the Holy Trinity, which is to love as God loves. The whole life of the Trinity is this giving of self to another. That's the life he gives us. And we call that life, that love, charity. Define charity for me, Baltimore Catechism people remember the love of God and the love of all things in relationship to him. When we talk about love, we're talking about the giving of self to another. The giving of your life back to God and then all things in relationship to him. We are put in, we are inserted into the life of the Trinity so that he pours his life into us and we give our life, which is ultimately his life, back to him. Okay? 737. Go ahead, Cynthia.
4: The mission of Christ and the Holy Spirit is brought to completion in the church, which is the body of Christ and the temple of the Holy Spirit. This joint mission henceforth brings Christ faithful to share in his communion with the Father in the Holy Spirit. Okay, there it is. That sentence again.
0: Mm -hmm. This joint mission henceforth brings Christ faithful to share in his communion with the Father in the Holy Spirit. Notice that all of a sudden, when they're talking about the Holy Spirit, they're talking about the Father. Mm -hmm. In some sense, they leave Christ out of the picture. They don't really leave this Christ out of the picture, but all of a sudden they're talking about us. In him. Read that again. The joint mission henceforth brings Christ faithful to share in his own communion. With who? They don't say with Christ. They say with the Father and the Holy Spirit. Our communion with Christ, our entrance into Christ, gains us access now to the life of the Trinity. Okay? You right, Melanie? Now, I, can
1: I ask your question because yep. it's a word that's come up a, a few times out. communion uh-huh. I mean, what are they meaning by this communion
0: exactly what we've been talking about we're going to get into this more when we talk about the church but the communion, communion to becoming one that's it co-union to being made one
1: but what does that mean what does that entail
0: <coughs> like how do we do it
1: well, we're in communion with Christ, so. How do we
0: get to
1: communion? No, but what are the effects of that? Oh! Because I understand okay. that through the, sacram- the sacraments in the church. Yeah, United what are the effects of that, what friends? What are the effects of communion? Answer Melanie.
0: Forgiveness of sins? yeah but you're not just talking about in relationship to us but you know like in our lives like what happens to us Mm -hmm. well first of all freedom of sin that's what the catechism says right we're filled up with the life of God but that's the point you're talking about now what
1: Yeah.
0: now what the first fruits I guess that they were talking about
1: Mm
0: -hmm. yeah but what does that mean that doesn't mean no when you say acts of charity for what's that acts of charity for everybody okay And when we're talking about acts of charity, we're talking about supernatural acts. And this is where the, the church starts talking about meritorious works. Because man is given a new principle of life by which he acts. And that new principle is the life of God himself. As Christians baptized into Christ, we are now able to act on a whole other level. Not just on a natural level of being good to our neighbor but on a supernatural level, that when we come into contact with our neighbor, we're going to talk about this more, I don't get into too much, we become instruments of God's grace. And that's where supernatural virtue becomes what the Christian life is all about. You look at Mother Teresa, it's not normal what she's doing. There's been a lot of nice people in the world but in some sense, she's acting on a whole other level. Not because she's acting really, really nice, but because she's able to bring Christ to the people she touches. Okay? Does that answer your question? Helps, yes. It helps. It starts. Is it start Anyways, We're going to get yeah. more into it. Yeah. Um, what did we just read? 7.37. Alright, 7.38. Thus the church's mission is not an addition to that of Christ and the Holy Spirit, but is its sacrament. In her whole being and in all her members the church is sent to announce, bear witness, make present, and spread the mystery of communion with the Holy Trinity. We just talked about sacrament in relationship to whom? Lord earlier today. Put, keep your hand there. Go back to 575. Real quick. 575. we got to keep going. Go past, guys. I'm still on the first page of my notes. 575. Oh, that's the wrong number. Hold on. 515. 515.
1: Jesus' humanity is the sacrament of his divinity and salvation.
0: Exactly. Everybody get there real quick. At the end of that paragraph, 515, the last sentence, his humanity appeared as sacrament. That is the sign instrument of his divinity. Now go back to the paragraph you're we just reading, seven thirty-eight. Thus, the church's mission is not an addition to that of Christ alone, but it is its sacrament. Christ's humanity is the sacrament, and now they're saying the church is the sacrament. Is the church confused? The body of Christ. Okay, well, we're going to start tying this idea of the body of Christ out. Thus the church's mission, 738, is not in addition to that of Christ the Holy Spirit, but is its sacrament. In her whole being and in all her members, the church is sent to announce, bear witness, make present, and spread the mystery of the communion of the Holy Trinity. All of us who have received one and the same Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit, are in a sense blended together with one another and with God. Keep going, Melanie.
1: For if Christ, together with the Fathers and his own Spirit, comes to dwell in each of us, though we are many, still the Spirit is one and undivided. He binds together the spirits of each and every one of us and makes all appear as one in him. For just as the power of Christ's sacred flesh unites those in whom it dwells into one body, I think that in the same way the one and undivided Spirit of God, who dwells in all, Leads all into spiritual unity. Okay.
0: Go to Ephesians chapter 5. My friends they brought their, their Bibles with them. We Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5. Go through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2nd Corinthians, Ephesians. Is Is there Galatians right there? Yeah, Galatians. Sorry, Galatians is short. I skipped it. -hmm. Ephesians chapter 5. That was a nice Catholic mistake for me. Chapter 5. Verse 21. Let's not get angry, ladies, about the language about men and women here. Let's just focus on Christ for now. And we can talk about marriage another time. Chapter 5, verse 21. Go ahead, Melanie.
1: Be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, be subject to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. As the church is subject to Christ, so let wives also be subject to everything and to their husbands. You want me to keep going? Keep going. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up to her, that he might sanctify her, Having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish.
0: Okay, we've talked about this idea of presenting humanity to himself, to himself in his divinity. Okay. We talked about this in relationship to what the Pope calls the exitus and ready to so what was that? Do you remember? Mm-hmm. Giving out and going back. Make it more specific. Pouring out and God kind of
2: pouring himself out of creation. Creation pouring itself back out to Him?
0: Yeah, and this is. Sorry, I'm going to write over my notes here. But that God gives a gift of love to all of creation and ultimately to man as the, as the height of His creation. And man's duty then is to present Himself and all of creation back to God in love. Sounds like the life of the Trinity within himself. Man is made in the image and likeness of God and therefore he does what God does from all eternity or at least he's called to. But the problem is Adam and Eve okay? There's what happened in the fall that offering back to the father did not happen and so this is exactly where Christ picks us up, unites us to himself and what does he do with us? presents us to the Father without, as St. Paul says, without spot and without blemish. Perfect. As we came forth from God, we give ourselves back to Him. Now, with the life of God back in our souls, remember, that is why it didn't matter what they did in the Old Testament. It didn't matter what the Jews did. It didn't matter how perfect their gift was of themselves. Ultimately, they could not give back to God what He had given to them because they had lost it. We lost the divine life within us. And therefore, all we had to return to God was our humanity lacking that which made us participants in the life of God Himself. And so the bridge was ultimately broken, and there was nothing we could do about it until God Himself acted by giving us that life back, by which we may present ourselves to the Father in Christ Jesus. Okay, does that make sense? Okay. 739. I have in my notes right now, I was getting excited, I have in my notes. This is the filet mignon of Catholicism. (laughs) This is Seven thirty-nine. Because the Holy Spirit is the anointing of Christ, it is Christ who, as the head of the body, pours out the Spirit among his members to nourish, heal, and organize them in their mutual functions, to give them life, send them to bear witness, and associate them with his self-offering to the Father. That's the presenting part his self-offering to the Father, and to his intercession for the whole world. So he associates him, not only with his presentation to the Father, but also his intercession for the rest of the world. We're placed in Christ, so that we are able to do as he does. Okay? Through the, church, through the church's sacraments, Christ communicates his holy and sanctifying spirit to the members of his body. Okay?
2: that first sentence? Mm-hmm. Well, no. Because the Holy Spirit <laughs> is the anointing of Christ. It is Christ who, as head of the body, pours out the Spirit among his members to nourish, heal, and organize them in their mutual functions mm-hmm. to give them life. The, the, the first part is the part i trouble Okay, because, because the Holy Spirit is, is the anointing of Christ.
0: Uh-huh. <coughs> because he receives the Holy Spirit, he's able to give the Holy Spirit. He receives the, the life of God from all eternity from the Father. Okay, Spirit. so he's able. He's in a particular position to be able to distribute that which that which he's been given. Okay, does that make sense or no? Well, I guess it
2: almost. Seems, I guess he's anointed from eternity.
0: Exactly, exactly. But also, also here, well. right? But also here, we're talking about his humanity is anointed because of who he is. It receives the gift of the Holy Spirit because his humanity is coming into contact with the divine Person who receives, who has the life of God. So
2: the human part of Jesus changes at the baptism?
0: Nah, that's a very interesting question. And, and the Father saying no. The baptism is a showing forth of who Christ is. Okay. And in fact, there's a whole, there's like a triple anointing to the kings in the Old Testament. Um, these different showing forths of who he is. He's anointed in private. And then he goes forth and is shown to the people and is anointed again. I've heard
2: some people say, Jesus didn't realize he was divine. He yeah, He only and it's, got into right. the idea. Yeah. Right,
0: right, right. And the uh, church doesn't know about that. So I understand what your confusion is there, but all they're saying is, because Christ, because Christ is Christ, because he has been anointed, because he is the Christ, the anointed one, he is able then to distribute what he has. Okay? And it's going to be also true with us, because we are anointed. We were given the gift of chrismation, the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And when that happens to us, suddenly our life changes because we're associated with Christ in his giving of
1: himself to the others. Okay. All right.
0: And immediately, that's where we go. Article 9. Turn your page. Whatever you need to do. What is the catechism turn to at this point? the church, because with this understanding of God's love within himself and his gift in Christ, we can start to understand what the church is, and we immediately read a sentence that we should be horrified by, and it's the title, and it's part of the creed. I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. We have said so far in the creed. I believe in three times. And what are those three times in relationship to? I believe in the Father. I believe in the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Catholic Church. Okay, Protestants. (laughs) Yeah, but this is an earlier part of the catechism. actually says we don't believe in the church. We well, it's actually right here. It goes. It's actually in paragraph seven fifty where it starts to talk about that and, and get into it. However, the Nicene Creed. How much do I want to explain? It, the Nicene Creed does use that language, saying it side by side with the three persons of the Holy Trinity. I believe in the Catholic Church. Why do they use that kind of language? Because because
2: it was universal for everyone. Well, Look, it, I believe in God. Right on the board there, I think, it is the, I think that's what you're getting to. It's the body of Christ.
0: Okay. We're gonna. You guys think I'm kind of psycho with this messianic, like, I'm God thing. But it's the catechism. It's the church. It's the scriptures. God loves the world so much. There is nothing he will not give it. He gives the world his own life. And when God shares his life with us, what St. Paul is talking about in Ephesians 5 comes true. In fact, we never finished reading it, so if you close your Bibles, don't worry about it. If it's still open, I'll finish reading it to you. For no man. What what verse are you at, Tony? Yeah,
1: Ephesians. Verse 28.
0: Ephesians 5, verse 28. Even so, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no man ever hates his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one. This is a great mystery. And I mean, not in reference to man and woman, but I mean in reference to Christ and the church. The mystery Saint Paul is talking about—the union of two becoming one—something that is beyond our understanding of how it could take place. Saint Paul says that the church is united to Christ in such a way that the two I became one. become one. Is, is
4: this because we believe that in the um, that we are receiving the body of Christ and the blood of?
0: That, that is definitely a big factor it. I say it's true about all the sacraments right. it's true about all the sacraments okay
4: but believing in the Catholic yeah. church
0: yeah and not just believing in because believing is the first part it's, it's part of all the time I think our faith becomes something that unfortunately can be disassociated with the action of God faith is in a sense the evidence of the life of God flowing in us so all of a sudden, when we talk about our act of faith, it is talking about that union of the two becoming one, and we act upon that, and one way we act upon that is receiving the Holy Mysteries, the sacraments of the church. Okay? The sacraments of the church are not arbitrarily set up. The ideas behind the sacraments are not, not nice second grade ideas. It's all based upon the reality of the love of God, that he desires to share his own life with us. The sacraments are, the, in a sense, the veins through which the life of God flows into us, flows through the body of Christ. Okay? I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. Paragraph 750. I'm just going to read the
1: first sentence. Melanie, nice and slow. Let's we'll just read that, To believe that the church is holy and Catholic and that she is one and apostolic as the Nicene Creed adds, is inseparable from belief in God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.
0: There you go. It is inseparable. <coughs> you cannot separate the two. Why? I have my notes. Wow! <laughs> <laughs> I cannot four. believe they just said that. What's that? <coughs> from Ephesians. From
2: John one. 2.
0: Yeah, and when that happens where is man put where does man go when man is joined to Christ what happens to him he joins the trinity when we're talking about entrance into the church we are talking about entrance into the very place of the word of God in relationship to the father and the spirit you cannot separate belief in the church, from belief in the Holy Trinity, because if you believe in the church, you must, by nature of the church, be entered into the Holy Trinity. The two are made one; you cannot separate them. <laughs> Look, the reason I keep calling to kind of, Melly because you guys know she's an RCIA. So, we're, we're struggling through these very issues right now, trying to grasp them, because this is it's heavy duty stuff. What if yeah. somebody has a particular disagreement with a particular Pope or priest or Yeah, no, no. no. It, what it's talking about is certain aspects of the church. It, to believe that the, Catholic, that the church is Catholic, holy, it is one, these attributes of the church, which, as you read the catechism, they're going to get into each one, they're all based upon who Christ is. So to believe these things about the church and what it is, is to enter into the life of the Trinity. And there we meet the Father and the Spirit. And so the two cannot be separated because by belief in what the church is, we enter into belief as to who God is. Because we're placed in a place within the Trinity. I don't think that answered the question. Mm -hmm. Okay.
2: If you, you disagree can, with the people, because, because so, well, if somebody is disagreeing with somebody in the church, the church can say, "Well, that means you don't know, believe in the Trinity." <coughs> you know?
0: No, it's well. We have to get into distinction That's about what a, the teaching I mean, of I mean, the, all the all church the is. Uses that have happened in the church. Yeah, recently and through history. I know. Hold on. Mark. Yeah, I'm just saying church. that you have to. We have to distinguish what kind of teaching you're talking about, right. because then the church, when you get into dogmatic mm-hmm. teaching, you do have an issue, sure. a point there. If someone has a disagreement with. The church's dogmatic teaching—he fundamentally doesn't understand what the church is. Okay. So, inseparable. Okay. Um, Seven sixty. I know Norma's got to go. She's got an airplane. Norma, I'm telling you, you've got plenty of time. But <laughs> Norma's got to be at the airport at nine thirty. Where are you going to? Uh, my, I have to pick up my. Seven sixty. Seven sixty. Christians in the first century,
3: 760. Steve, you want to give that to us? The first century said. We're almost done, guys. The world was, for, was created for the sake of the church. God created the world for the sake of communion with his divine life, a communion brought about by the convocation of men in Christ. And this convocation is the church. The church is the goal of all things, and God permitted such painful upheavals as the angels fall and man sin only as occasions and means for displaying all the power of his arm and the whole measure of the love he wanted to give the world. Just as God's will is creation and is called the world, so his intention is the salvation of men and called the church. Okay.
0: 771. We're going to have to fly here. I don't want to miss things. 771. The one mediator, Christ, established and ever sustains here on earth his holy church, the community of faith, hope, and charity, is a visible organization to which he communicates truth and grace to all men. Let's get down to that quote. The church is essentially both human and divine, visible and endowed with invisible realities, zealous in action and dedicated to contemplation, present in the world but as a pilgrim, so constituted that in her the human is directed toward and subordinate to the divine, the visible to the invisible, action to contemplation, and this present world, that city yet to come, the object of our quest. The catechism formerly had talked about that, those exact words in relationship to Christ's humanity, totally subordinate to his divinity. But there you go. The church is essentially, essentially, in what it is, both human and divine. Okay? Um, look at that in relationship to what our normal conception of the church is. Normally, we think about the Catholic Church, and what do we think about? The hierarchy. The hierarchy. Yeah, the, when we think about the hierarchy, which we think is very institutional, we, can, we look at the Vatican, the building, we look at all these things, and we totally miss the reality of Christ's person. That when we're talking about the church, we're talking about a living being in Christ. We're not talking about the building. We're not talking about the paperwork. Okay? We're talking about Christ's life and flesh here on earth in his members, in his body. Okay? 775. The church in Christ is like a sacrament, a sign instrument that is of communion with God and of unity among all men. The church's first purpose is to be the sacrament of the inner union of men with God, because men's communion with one another is rooted in that union with God. The church is also the sacrament of the unity of the human race. In her, this unity is already begun, since she gathers men from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and tongues. At the same time, the Church is the sign and instrument of the full realization of the unity yet to come. As sacrament, the Church is Christ's instrument. She is taken up by Him also as an instrument for the salvation of all. The universal sacrament of salvation by which Christ is at once manifesting and actualizing the mystery of God's love for men. The church is the visible plan of God's love for humanity. Because God desires that the whole human race may become one people of God, form one body of Christ, and be built up into one temple of the Holy Spirit. Okay? That's not really my conclusion, but we're going to stop there, because i got at least another ten minutes there. So, we'll finish the rest of that next time. As you go through this week, you guys, think about it. As we're heading towards Lent... Our goal is not just to be like Christ. Our goal is to be Christ. And he gives us a sharing in his own life for that very reason. As we go through Lent, we are to walk with him and in him to the cross. Lent is not a time to be giving up sodas and candy and that kind of stuff. It is to be suffering and dying with Christ. Okay? Let's uh, we'll finish that. And remember, next time, one more class, and we'll finish the, the section. Now we call this Spirit to song. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. as Amen. 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 Amen.